greetings, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast, episode number 68 with Mark Salisbury. I uh, appreciate him reaching out recently to set up this time for us to chat about his work uh, around college affordability with the organization Twitch and Fit. Uh, it is a uh, project that he's kickstarted, and uh, he's working hard on making sure that there's transparency and just better sort of access points for both institutions and students to make sure that. Uh, Everyone gets the students that uh, kind of work best for their institution at a price point that works best for them, and um, really ambitious plans. And really appreciate Mark committing to this work and bringing his kind of uh, geeky, thoughtful uh, uh, self to it. So, I um, really appreciated the time to hear more uh, from Mark about his career journey and um, just everything that he's thinking about and uh, all the resources that he's checking out. So, definitely uh, look in the show notes for a lot of good stuff, a lot of good resources, and definitely connect with Mark if you are uh, wanting to keep the conversation going. So, Thanks so much for listening, and without further ado, this is episode number 68 with Mark Salisbury. Yeah, we can uh, go ahead and get started and just uh, yeah, talk through what I think is a really cool professional journey for you, just kind of perusing your LinkedIn and like what you're doing now, but like kind of what led you there. I'll be very interested to hear, <laughs> hear how you tell your story and stuff, but yeah, we'll, we'll start there with your kind of brief uh, introduction and your professional journey of how you got to be where you were today. There's no way I could have predicted that I would end up where I am now when I graduated from college and started out. Um, I uh, started out uh, thinking I would be a rock star and, and be a stand-up comic and be on stage and um, clearly not good enough at any of that stuff. Um, there's nothing like uh, the sound of crickets when you finish a song in an empty bar. Mm. But... <laughs> I uh, eventually ended up starting my career in higher ed as a college soccer coach. And um, I had been working on a master's degree in American studies and was pretty clear that I was going to be very average as an American studies scholar. Um, and then this opportunity just popped up and I thought, you know what, I'm going to try this. This could be fun. Mm -hmm. And next thing you know, I was a coach for 11 years um, before deciding, you know what, I'm going to go back and do a PhD study in higher ed. It's just, this is such a fascinating environment trying to understand how college students learn and why colleges vary so much in success rates and learning rates and, and, uh, just the way they design themselves and why can't they evolve very more quickly? Um, so I went back and did a PhD at the university of Iowa and, was very lucky to be a part of the Wabash National Study on Liberal Arts Education. Really got to be a part of a study where you really dig in and look at how do students learn and let's get data from them as freshmen, data as, from them as sophomores, and then data from them as seniors, and be able to see how much they learned and grew, and then be able to see, okay, what experiences uh, made that learning really take off? What experience sort of inhibited that growth and you know what really mattered for students mm -hmm. uh, so that was a really fascinating experience and i've been drawn on that ever since um and then i was finishing my phd and i thought i'll go be a professor somewhere and a researcher and got a call from a small college in illinois called augustana college that said can you come and be our director of institutional research and assessment we don't really know exactly what that's going to look like but we want somebody that can help people understand the data and not just hand them spreadsheets. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know what, that'd be really fun to do. That would sort of bring together the coaching side of me and now the quantitative data researcher side of me. And so I 
said, okay, I'll do it. And I thought, you know, I'll do this for a year. I'll sort of treat it as a nice consultancy kind of gig. Next thing you know, I'd been there for eight years and really got a chance to do a lot of fun stuff and work with some amazing faculty and student affairs folks, uh, really helping students and helping an institution get better at what it does. And about seven years in, probably, I started to think, you know what, maybe I need to do something else. It just maybe it's that seven-year itch. Mm-hmm. And I had been wondering about, for a long time, I'd been watching how the college pricing thing was really just such a disaster for everybody. It's such a fog, and it drives the public crazy. And you know, families say, just tell me what my price is going to be. Cause I want to, dis- I want to use that information to decide whether I'm going to apply or not. Right. Like I'm going to spend 50 bucks and a bunch of time to apply to a school and then find out a couple months later that I can't afford it anyway. Right. But, but you still got my 50 bucks. Like that sounds like a little bit of a scam. Um, last year, I think Lend EDU put a report out and I think UCLA was the number one school of making $5.3 million off the applications that they deny. Hmm. that's a pretty cool gig, right? Like that's not, that's a lot of money, but the families hate that. And I, so I just thought this pricing thing's just goofy for the public. And, and, you know, so, and, you know, it's not hard to find stuff in the media these days going off about college costs. But then it was really clear from the inside that this pricing game is strangling most of the colleges. Because now the public sees a price tag, a sticker price, and says, forget it. I'm not applying there. There's no way I can afford that. Either because they don't know that you pay less than the sticker price in almost every instance. Or they look at it and go, there's no way that school is going to give me a $60,000 scholarship to make it so that I can afford to go there. So I'm not going to waste my time. So the colleges don't get enough applications. And then they don't get enough enrollment. And then they don't get enough revenue. And so a whole bunch of schools are really struggling financially because they created a monster that now has turned around and bit them in the butt. So it just struck me like, okay, we got the public hates this and it's killing the colleges. I think it's time that we should change it. Mm -hmm. So um, that all set up my thinking about starting this crazy idea called tuition fit, which was essentially let's solve this by just making all of the prices transparent and let's do it by allowing the public to create a single data set, share information, protect everybody's anonymity, make it free so that then every individual can see all of the different prices that are being offered to students just like them. And they can realize I've got options. I've got choices given that the colleges are so often recruiting all the way into August because they need students just to make their class and need students just to make their, their revenue targets. The public has a lot of power that they don't know they have. So let's use all of that to make it possible for more people to find a school that is their ideal financial fit. And then let's do this in a way that allows the colleges that really are a pretty good financial fit for a lot of folks to be able to connect more easily with those students, even when they haven't applied initially. So we created a way for the colleges to invite students to talk 
based on being able to offer them a better price than the price that they've got in the award letters that they've received. Mm. And we launched it a year ago. Well, not quite a year ago, January and said, let's see if this works. Let's see if the public will share. And word of mouth just sort of took off. Um, I don't know if there's a phrase that is the equivalent when it's word of Facebook instead mm-hmm. of word right. of mouth. <laughs> but, but people started sharing this information about this thing on Facebook and email and blogs. And pretty soon we had students from 40 different states sharing data. And we had students, one story, a student that had a couple of, offers that were in the $35,000 range. And this was a student who family didn't have enough money by any stretch of the imagination to pay that much for college. And then she sees that there's all these other prices out there that ranged from $6,000 a year to $51,000 a year. And the only reason that she hadn't applied to those schools was frankly, just because all colleges essentially look the same. Right. Mm -hmm. And she didn't know and she wasn't going to apply to a million schools because she didn't have the money for it. So it was just arbitrary choices. Why not to apply to this school versus that school? But suddenly when she saw the prices, oh, now I know what schools I need to apply to and I can find a school that's a fit that I can afford, that I'm not going to have to leverage my future in debt. Simple. Yeah. yeah. And it was just a function of building this thing. Well, and I th- Yeah. Just like, yeah. Committing to do that important work is, yeah, just, you know, I appreciate your, your hard work doing that. Cause yeah, just like all those pieces that you hit. Yeah. Like public trust and people making informed decisions and like something that I think, um, always really like stuck with me, just sort of like having an appreciation of the higher ed landscape and whatever institution type that, uh, you know, a student chooses to go to that, you know, research bears out more often than not that like, it matters less where you go, just that you go and that you finish, like going to college can just be such an educational, informative experience. And, you know, it doesn't matter if, you know, you're going as an adult learner for an online degree for two year degree or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. And yeah, I think people do get kind of caught up in like, well, college is just this like, you know, sort of amorphous, like, it's just like, it's just college. Everything's the same. It's just like, is it this school or that one or whatever? But like, obviously like price is a big difference. And if, yeah, somebody's making the choice of like, well, yes, I am making the informed decision. I know how much that cost and I know how I'm going to fund that because it has an amazing program or whatever, you know, like, but, uh, you know, yeah, other people are working with less information and helping at least with um, having that be more easily accessible and sort of like, uh, right. yeah, just uh, it's it on those things that help try to solve for a lot of different problems that are out there right now. I think um, we've really created a monster where we where so many people think that the college that you choose is the one that, is that makes the difference. Like if you don't go to the right college for you, you're going to end up a drug dealer under a bridge somewhere for the rest <laughs> right, of your life, right? right? And your life is just going to be miserable. And yet research has found this for 40 years. And we saw this in the Wabash study all the time that it – Really, for a very, very thin slice, the super, super smart, very, very low income, non-white kid that gets to go to an Ivy League school for free, then the institution matters. But for everybody else, which is about 99.9% of everybody else, it just doesn't matter that much. And what matters is what you do in college, whether you spend the college experience really getting involved in the things that can help you learn and put information together and integrate your experiences, or if you just get drunk all the time and miss class a bunch 
mm-hmm. you know, every single school we looked at, there was way more variation in student learning and student experience within institutions than there were between institutions. The other way to say it, <laughs> at least that I like, is that every school had a brilliant individual just doing incredible things. And then every school had a Blitarski from Animal House, right? Like mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the, every school has that. And it's a function of then what you do while you're in college. And so at some point, giving people some agency to just say, like, you could actually make this experience amazing or you can make it really average. And then we teach them how to do college. That's probably the stuff that we need to spend more time talking about, whether it is online institution, two year, four year, cobble it together, work most of the time and go part time for a while, whatever it is, you know. There's a there's so much out there more that, that's more about it. you can unbundle the college experience and put it together, transfer credits and then end up with a degree. But it still matters that you know how to integrate learning experiences and you know how to sort of figure out that, hey, I did this in this experience. If I go and do this other thing over here, I'm going to be able to take what I learned there, plug it in in a real life situation there. And all of that stuff becomes real. If you know how to do that, you can get a ton out of any college's offering, mm-hmm. you, right? And yeah. that gives people a lot of free. I mean, like, let empower people to be who they can be, right? I'm starting to sound like a um, an army commercial or something. But <laughs> that, to me, just seems to be a so much better way to get more people to engage higher education, to complete it. And to really feel like they got something out of it when they were done. Because uh, if we don't get all three of those things to happen, we're still falling short of where we need to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, yeah, just like, yeah, that whole kind of like continuum kind of of like that some people need to be able to accept that fact of like, okay, yeah, it matters less where I go, just what I do while I'm there and like finishing and all that. But like, you know, they might not even get to that point if they don't have the transparency right. into the cost and those things. And then um, obviously, like when they're there, having that support to have an amazing experience and then helping them to you know, further their career goals and everything. But I guess now I'm wondering, because, like, you know, you mentioned kind of the brief uh, part of like your own college experience and like starting out and, you know, what you thought that you were going to be doing and everything. But is there still anything from your own college experience kind of like in that sort of sphere of like what you did while you were there, who you met or um, what you learned that you still like is still helping you kind of connect these dots and make these connections and do this work or like just, um, yeah, anything that comes up of just like those sort of formative things that you sort of, sort of still, you know, uh, fall back on now for the work that you're doing now. Anybody who knows me from 30 years ago, 35 years ago when I was in college, knows that I'm a pretty good example of the stumble bumble, like dance on the edge of failure for a good long while before you finally, the lights start to come on. Um, I took seven years to finish my undergrad. I transferred twice. Um, I took some time off and needed to have some real life experience to just grow up and find what I was doing. Uh, I was a great example of somebody who, um, all of this information about, uh, the kind of salary you'd make based on the major you finally finish. Um, I was a great example of somebody for whom that information would utterly useless when I was looking at colleges, uh, because I had no clue what I was going to do. And worse, I thought I had a clue about what I was going to do and I was just dead wrong. So, um, one of the things for me is that 
that to understand that people's lives are just not this simple, linear, two-dimensional thing that we would like to think it is and sort of frame as the ideal. Most people's lives are a winding path. Uh, we, we ran a study when I was at Augustana that we called the winding path study, where we really tried to study graduates, not just as snapshots and find out how much money you're making, but let's see how many times your life hit a curve in the road and whether that curve was in a planned intentional curve or was it something you come up that you had no idea was coming? And then how did you manage that curve and what tools did you use and how did that then play out? Cause that's, I think a lot more the way people's lives actually work. Mm -hmm. And so my own experience has absolutely shaped the way I've thought about this all the way along in terms of you need really simple, useful information to help people. And you need people to believe that no matter what comes up, you can navigate it. You'll get through it. There's something on the other end that's okay. And let's just give you the right information to get to tomorrow and get to next week and get to next month. So that's a, that's a big way, a big thing that frames a lot of the way I think about this. And the second piece, when I finally finished my undergrad at the University of Minnesota, I did my last two years there, for me, writing for the student paper there was the reason to keep going to class. So I, mm. I absolutely found my, uh, my real love when I was writing for the student paper. And for me, that made all of the other things that I was learning, um, it made those things real. It made it on just some basic immature level. It made me go to class again. But it also then got me an opportunity to sort of apply what I was learning in a way that made sense, that uh, seemed like it had some energy behind it. And so for me, that's one of those experiences where I look back and say, like, yeah, if it weren't for that co-curricular thing, college would have been, I don't know if I'd ever finished. But uh, as a function of that, I'm always about telling people, you know, find other things besides the classes that you take that matter. Um, because, and that shaped so much of how I think about what college can be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just, yeah, like solidifying that commitment and like nurturing persistence and, you know, sometimes it could be that and like, you know, community, you know, like connections, friends, whatever, or, um, yeah, like other skills or career stuff and all that. I mean, yeah, there's so much, it's like not like mutually exclusive. It could be all of those things or just especially one of them or, and I like the word choice that you used. Um, nurturing persistence, you know, for me, sometimes it was nurturing and sometimes it was coercing, mm. right? <laughs> and that's not necessarily such a bad thing if you're a male in your early 20s who's trying to figure life out and kind of bumbling along. Um, but that would never have happened if I hadn't stumbled on some other experiences that I needed that helped make this stuff come alive and kept me going. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that being the other thing too. Yeah. I think like, it, whether it's like a campus-based position or just working in general while um, going to college, like I, I think, yeah, I can kind of help kind of contextualize mm -hmm. like the learning that you're having of just kind of being, you know, out in the working world and like help you uh, like refine your focus and those sort of things. So I think, it, yeah, it's just, I think, yeah, the, the point of view that we have generally with like students going to college and what that's supposed to look like or whatever is thankfully evolving and maturing and uh, getting more kind of diverse and complex and all that. And then just, you know, uh, making sure again that like, you know, with the work that you're doing now, I guess like 
I want to see what's kind of been kind of, uh, you know, like a learning experience for you with your current work, but like, you know, now trying to like, cause I think that's the idea, like what kept coming up in my head is just like, yeah, I mean, like we've, I think we've learned a lot and studied a lot and researched, you know, as a higher education profession and, uh, of about like student learning and student experiences and like student engagement, all that kind of stuff. But like, continuing to try to like help more people to have that experience in some way again like in just the whole kind of learning continuum uh, whether that is like going for a certificate working on uh something uh some sort of degree or taking courses online um like we want to make sure that i think you know we're not gatekeeping like we're opening that up more so that right more people get to it so you know and a big part of that is cost because i think just working with students for the past couple of years after finishing my, my master's, especially in some different contexts of a lot of like adult learners and graduate learners, online learners, like cost always comes up even in the, in this, you know, I think we think of it a lot, especially with undergraduate because you're going for four years and certainly people who go to like law school or med school, like cost is a huge thing too, but right that, you know, it just, yeah, is like a very stubborn issue and trying to work to solve that. It's a, it's a tall order and, you know, you've, you've committed to, to trying to work on it. And I guess what, you know, what's been like really educational and kind of learning experience for you. And like, what are you enjoying about this current work now that you've been doing for the past almost year? Um, I'm very curious because I'm sure it's very different from anything you may have done before. Yeah, there's, it's, it's, um, it's a really exciting and terrifying to sort of leave the, you know, the, the old buildings and the quad of higher education where you're in a comp, you know, you're in a big environment where, um, you know, the thing just keeps going and you don't have to really worry about where the money's coming from. You just keep doing your job to then start something on your own where, you know, every day is sort of like, are we going to make it to tomorrow next month? I don't know. Right. And that is, that I think is a really valuable thing because I think the folks that work in higher education all the time, you just forget how life is for everybody else on the planet. Right. That, there is this reality that, you know, tomorrow I might get laid off. Tomorrow my company might go out of business. Tomorrow something might happen. And, you know, if you've got tenure and all of the things that go with that, obviously that's pretty far from your mind. And even if you work in a higher education institution, there is this sense of like this thing just keeps plugging along. Mm -hmm. And um, that's been really interesting um, to, to sort of go and live that. From the perspective of just learning about how people engage the, the conversation about higher education. Um, it's, it's frightening the degree to which colleges and universities think they understand it. And yet they're completely off in what they think they know. Um, people, people are used to making calculations about, is this about ROI? whether you want to value worth, whatever term you want to use, mm -hmm. people are used to doing that in virtually every other thing that they buy, whether it's going on Amazon for a pencil or whether it's looking at buying a new house, you get to see other prices. You get to put things in context so that you can say, yeah, that house is cheaper than the other ones, but this one that's a couple thousand dollars more is in a different neighborhood. It's closer to my work. We've got an extra bedroom. I'll pay that extra amount because I think it's worth it. And, um, so when people run into the college search process and they're not able to work that same way, they get really frustrated and they start to think a lot of them do. This really looks like a scam. Like you're going to get me to pay a bunch to eliminate most of the competition, 
pay a bunch of money to submit an application and then you're going to tell me my price. And at that point, it looks like I've only got a couple of different prices on my kitchen table and I don't know what I don't know. Like that really doesn't feel very honest, very transparent. And a lot of that's a function of the system that we've used for a hundred some years to go to college, right? This applic the application process is by nature an exclusionary process. Mm. But today we're we're talking about higher education as an inclusive, inclusionary thing, right? Where we need more people to get some kind of higher education degree, and we want more and more people to go. And if you eliminate, if you set aside the super elite colleges that are, you know, have these high, really high selectivity rates. Um, or low selectivity rates, right? Um, it's far easier to get into college than it is to get a credit card. And that's really kind of frightening when you think about how easy it is and how short of a period of time it takes to get a credit card. And about 40% of the people who apply for a credit card get one. Mm -hmm. But to get into college, it's like 75% likelihood of it getting accepted somewhere. And yet you're spending all this money and all this time to get it, you know, through an application process. Like there's a bunch of stuff in here that's really upside down. And I think the public sees that because the whole rest of their world is they're able to put price into context. And then as a function of that, they're able to calculate, you know what, I'll spend more to go to that college because they have the, the program that I know I really want, or they have that professor that has that undergraduate lab that I really want to get into, or it's very clear that that school knows how to connect internships to professional work to a job later. So it's worth paying that other, or for the other student, I don't really know what I'm going to do. So I'm just going to take this course online. That's really inexpensive because I don't know how far along I'm going to go in it. And it makes sense for me. That's a, a sane ROI. People are used to that, but the college system just drives them nuts. Mm -hmm. And the degree to which that is out there and the degree to which that then, and the last thing I'll say is, you know, there's the subset of students who, you know, they just can't afford any college, very low income. And if their test scores and high school GPAs are strong enough or other variables matter, you know, schools will offer them a, a very generous financial aid package. But there's a whole bunch of other folks that are just north of that that um, they know they're going to have to figure out a way to borrow some money to go to college. They aren't sure they'll be able to afford it, but people are telling them that they should go to college and that there's a place for them somewhere. And then they see this process and they're smart enough to see, wait, you want me to pay you money and you won't tell me whether I can afford it until a couple months later? Mm-hmm forget it. I'm out. I'm not doing that dance. I'm not getting my heart broken again. And they don't go to college at all because they're turned off by the process. Yeah. And that's a crusher that just kills me because we want more people to go to college, but we've got a system that scares them away. And I shouldn't say scares drives them away with good reason. Mm hmm. Because right. it looks like a scam. And a show. Yeah, like at best, it's just like confusing. You know, like it's not as if it's like right. it's done right. in some at sort best. of like you know malevolent. Like it's like, oh yeah, we're just gonna like do it. It's just like it's just confused because like I think I it happens. I think in a lot of different ways in life is that when you you have kind of like the curse of knowledge, like you can't like the same way that like somebody doesn't know what they don't know. 
also like you can't not know what you know so like it's like yeah we're all like you know it's maybe people who have like yeah i've worked in higher ed for like decades or whatever i'm building processes and systems just sort of like unaware of the fact that like there's a lot of people because now the idea that like you have to broaden the base of people who get some sort of uh kind of post-secondary credential uh they're going to be kind of they're going to be first generation like they may not know many people or anybody in their family like they, it's just tough to navigate it's confusing and it's like you know but it's not necessarily maybe done maybe sometimes it is in terms of being like restrictive in those places that are highly selective like you know it's not done in the middle of that way but like it it's at least just very at the very least it's confusing and any way that we can make that less confusing benefits everybody like you said more students enroll make more informed decisions right. they're more committed so they're more likely to persist and those sort of things so um it just yeah it's like a, it's it's gonna work out better for everybody i think like you're starting to lose two too which is a completely other topic which it, it's a, you know go down the wormhole of it but like the idea of like federal financial aid and like those sort of things of like coming into mm-hmm. like the cost and funding and you know all that kind of stuff but um right the whole system is built on i mean this is very much historical but the whole system the the ordering of things in that process to get into college it's all built on the presumption that you can afford it Mm -hmm. so that's why price doesn't come up until very late that's why financial aid is all about like prove to me that you're actually poor right like all of this stuff is built on this assumption that well if you're if you're actually going to play with going to college then certainly you can afford it and that's so blatantly not the case anymore for most people. Um, and until we really, and until the public gets the information that they need to start being able to make the decisions with their feet and the fact that the demographics are shifting like they have so that the public really actually has a lot of power to start driving price down just by saying we're going to this school and we're not going to that one. And that one says, well, 90% of our revenue depends on tuition. So I guess we got to figure out how to charge less until that happens. You know, you still have this weird system where prices still go up, even though there's a lot of supply. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. And again, I, I give you kudos (laughs) to working on this in your own way and trying to help influence. I, I think things are moving in that direction, but like if we could make it happen quicker, that'd be great. Um, right, right. There's definitely an urgency there that I hope, like you said, like it oftentimes it's, you know, higher education, like there, there may be that lack of urgency in some uh, segments and stuff. So um, anyway, that we can kind of get that yeah. quicker Co- would be appreciated. Coax them or, yeah, like plate tectonics moves faster than higher ed sometimes. Right. And yeah. <laughs> you know, that this you'll, you'll sort of roll your eyes at this, but it, really happened. I was telling a college president about this project and trying to get them interested in this. And, and the, this particular college president said, you're absolutely right. We all know as presidents that the high price, high discount model is not sustainable. We, this thing really needs to get fixed and I hope you'll fix it. Hmm. And I went, what? Right? Like here's a college president hoping that this little guy in his home office with a computer will somehow fix it. Like, great, thank you. But that just seemed really upside down to me. Yeah, <laughs> kind of just like, I appreciate your vote of confidence, but like, right. yeah, I think it's going to take more than, yeah, one guy on a computer to like fix the entire college pricing, you know, crisis or whatever. Um, right. So, yeah, that's, that's But crazy enough, that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it's the idea, like you have to, 
you know, in so many ways, it's going to give kind of to have set high expectations to be able to, you know, kind of drive great outcomes. So it's like, you know, there's that kind of philosophy of like, you know, like you would think that most people would be like, no, let's set like low KPIs and like, you know, <laughs> yeah. goals. Cause it's like, we'll always hit them. And it like makes us feel better. It's like, well, no, it's okay. If you're like perpetually like 90% of the way to your goals, because that means you're setting ambitious goals and you're like really driving towards them. And, you know, there's just, there is kind of a, a camp that, you know, really kind of, uh, believes in that and kind of works towards that. So it's like the idea of just like, yeah, I mean, maybe I can. I'll, that's the, that, yeah, like that's the goal. I'm going to try. I'm going to get as close as I can. Kind of like the, you know the moonshot kind of thing. You know, um, well, in higher higher education yeah. institutions, when they do move, they're much much better at moving in incremental ways. Mm-hmm. That's just the nature of when you get this really flat autonomous thing where good ideas bubble up, and very and rarely does anything really substantial and and sustainable come from the top down so when you know we, for people out there who are just listening to this i am not a super svelte thin guy i've got a few pounds to lose but if someone tells me just get thinner i just sort of get depressed and then no yeah you're probably right i should but i never I can't do anything moving forward because mm-hmm. I've got issues, right? <laughs> but if someone says to me, look, get five pounds thinner, and if you get five pounds thinner, then you'll be able to do this thing, that's tangible. And I can actually pull that off. It's the same thing with higher education institutions. People have been telling them for a long time, you guys got to get cheaper. But that's just an abstract, and you throw that into a faculty meeting, and you can imagine where that goes, right? Um, it's just too abstract and the nature of higher education institutions is such that people will figure out all kinds of reasons how it won't work or different philosophical questions that somebody gets stuck on and take a hard left and pretty soon that just never goes anywhere. So institutions desperately need clear short term like just get a thousand dollars cheaper and if you do this you'll be able to compete for those students that right now you're not competing for that's really important for higher education institutions to get there and the reality is is that we need each other right as a public we need higher education more than ever and higher education institutions need the public to pay the tuition otherwise you can't keep the lights on Mm -hmm. so instead of doing this in a way that just gins up anger and i'll sell pitchforks and torches wholesale Let's do this in a way that actually helps to solve the larger problem, which is at the interaction of the public and higher ed rather than, you know, just the higher education institutions say, well, if the public governments and the states would just fund us more, we'd be fine. Triple the Pell Grant, blah, blah, blah. And the public just says, well, if you guys would just get cheaper, we'd be fine. Maybe, but neither neither of those is really all that helpful. We've got to find a way to get in the middle and fix this in a way that's incremental and moves everybody to a place that arguably allows this thing to keep going. And all of that to say that's what this tool is trying to do is to use transparency as the framework where then people can see incrementally if you do this, you get $1,000 cheaper, then you can get that. And students can see, well, I could go to that school for a thousand dollars less, but let me look, okay, that school's a little different. Well, is that worth, I don't know, for some it will be, for some it won't. It still sits at the middle of, at the interaction of the two sides, which is where the fix needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and I think just that the, it came up in a past podcast episode a while back, but just kind of a like, 
reformist mindset versus like disruption because i think yeah that idea of like pitchforks it's like all the whole system has to be burned down or whatever it's like no it's existed for a while and it's had a lot of successes reform incremental and like everyone kind of doing their part versus yeah just like pointing fingers because it could again it's probably you know be a incrementalist mosaic of solutions kind of thing of just like (laughs) yeah just like you know at least freeze prices like don't get more expensive and then incrementally reduce them or like yeah like more federal funding and more informed people like you know more informed students making their choices of where they want to go and those sort of you know because it's like they get done quicker it's cheaper if they you know uh, a lot of things yeah i mean a lot going into that and it being just like we we as human beings get better at stuff when we start with an honest assessment of here's where we are Here's what we do well. Here's what we're not so good at. Tomorrow, I'm going to try to get a little bit better at X. Mm -hmm. That's just the basic framework for all good human growth, right? Whether it's in professional development, whether you're working with students day to day, all of that's just that's the basic starting point. Um, Nobody gets better if you just rip them up and down and nobody gets better if the only way that you define better is by perfect, right? So like you said, if, if we get to a place where we're just reforming, with enough nudge, I think you got a shot at something. Well, it's clear that I, I guess I feel like it would be fair to say that you geek out about this topic to get to my next question <laughs> segue. I would say um, so. So are there things that you're like engaging with that are related to all this topic of like, you know, resources or, um, you know, things that are kind of helping to inform your work or other stuff that you just do like you know, you geek out about like kind of personal hobbies just for fun, like whatever way you'd want to take it or both just like what's kind of like grabbing your attention lately that you'd want to kind of give a shout out to. Yeah, I think there's, I mean, that one of the things that, and I've written about this in other places, but the, the, uh, you know, as you might imagine, I love to do research on how college works and how students, uh, succeed in college and how different frameworks require different elements and how different factors play out in different contexts and whether it's taking quantitative data and really tackling it and trying to make some sense out of it or whether it's doing this qualitatively and asking people questions and seeing how they respond to things um, it's pretty hard to find my sort of okay I've had enough line Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I just love to play with that stuff and one of the things that's been really interesting, sort of two sides of it. One is there's been some really interesting analysis of digging deeper into understanding the student debt bubble, right? This $1.6 trillion in student debt, it gets thrown around out there and used as a thing to say, well, yeah, it's all undergraduates and everybody's getting screwed and there's all these students with $100,000 in debt. But much deeper analysis of that data We're starting to find out some really interesting things that don't comport with the larger narrative, right? That big chunks of that data are, or big chunks of that loan money is to students that are that went to graduate school, and big chunks of that loan money are going to are for people who are making six-figure incomes, Um, and the folks that are more likely to default are not folks with a hundred thousand dollar loans, but people with five thousand dollar loans, right? and the differences by race in repayment processes and repayment stages is, is just stunning. Um, so digging into some of that stuff and understanding that maybe it's not the size of the number can get people's a lot of, t- a lot of people's attention, but maybe that's not really where the issue is. Maybe the issues are a lot more about, um, how we, uh, actually follow through in the loan forgiveness programs and, mm-hmm. 
how we actually manage and sort of handed off the debt repayment stuff to um, really sort of disorganized actors, right? Um, uh, let's disorganize as opposed to uh, malevolent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but like just understanding what's going on in there is just really fascinating because it certainly doesn't all support the broader narrative that gets the headlines. Um, that's something that's been really interesting. On the other side of it, I've been really fascinated by um, some of the qualitative stuff that's come out as documentary film. Uh, one in particular that I would really encourage everybody to, to, to check out and see it somehow I think you can watch it online is this documentary called personal statement um, that is basically follows three high school seniors through their senior year. And they're in Brooklyn, New York. They're low income kids, first generation college student types. And it's following them through they're navigating the college search while at the same time they're trying to mentor their own classmates on how to get to college, too. Mm. And it's just a fascinating story. Um really lays out there all the different things that pop up for people and all of the different little barriers that are um, subtle and yet really powerful that can inhibit students from ultimately going on to higher education somehow. Um, It shows a lot about the lack of good guidance that there is for most high school students. Um, And as a function of that, then how much mythology can go in there and and mess things up because you don't know what you don't know and so you hear something from somebody and you think that that's gospel and therefore you apply it in your own life and it turns out that's not applicable or just flat out wrong um but this documentary um just does a fantastic job of spelling a lot of this out and showing people what this looks like in a real life situation um so yeah that's those are a couple of things that I sort of just get swallowed up in and, you know, three hours on Amazon Prime later, (laughs) I've watched a bunch of documentaries, but it's just been so enriching and makes you think about so many different things. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, if you have any other, uh, stuff you want to send along after, uh, we're done recording, feel free to to do so. Um, we can include stuff in the show notes for other, uh, documentaries you can think of or you'd like to like to share, but um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well then I guess, yeah, we'll just, uh, wrap up, uh, with my, you know, one of my favorite parts, I always like asking people, um, to end the show on an optimistic note, uh, what are some things or things that you were, uh, looking forward to in your job life and, or the world. So any of those things, all of those aspects, uh, whatever comes to mind of what you are looking for. Probably a little redundant, but, I, but I am really looking forward to seeing this tuition fit exercise, this to the tuition fit transparency project that we're calling it really help more students and really change the narrative for a lot of folks to see that, um, college is a stage in your life and it's not any more or less than that. And whether you engage it by taking some classes online while you're working 40 hours a week, or whether you go to a very traditional four year, institution with quads and ivy and way too many squirrels on campus mm-hmm. it, it what i'm really hoping to see is that this um and we're starting to see it already just like the just a peek behind the curtain and i'm just really excited to see how that plays out um but what i really hope for is that this 
adds to what we're starting to see with the younger generation of, of them starting to say, you know what, we can fix a lot of this stuff ourselves. We can, we have agency, we can stand up together and organize and do things that really become systemic problems. We, we can do things to change those big challenges just by let's just step up and let's collaborate. Uh, way too often, I think we all end up with our little slice of the of the larger pie, and that slice is the sum total of what we think we understand. And because we're in that position, we make decisions based on that little slice, and we just don't know what we don't know. But when we share information, when we team up, we really can do some amazing things together. And I, I'm seeing that more and more with the younger generation coming up, and it's just incredibly exciting to see. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think about that a lot. Like we create a lot of our own problems and we have the power also to fix them. So like kind of being inspired by that and, um, yeah, knowing some certain things again, it's not, um, any fault necessarily of one person's own doing or anything. Right. It's just kind of, you know, collectively may have been neglected. I think, you know, like the, the pricing, I think there was some incentives going in a direction that have now kind of come due and, um, hoping that we can, uh, yeah, help nurture kind of the incentives the other way to work better for everybody in the whole kind of higher ed system. So, um, again, I appreciate the work that you're doing. I appreciate you, uh, making time for the show here and sharing all that you did. And uh, it was a treat. Yeah, Thanks. Uh, yeah. We'll have ways for everyone to connect with you and everything that you mentioned down in the uh, show notes there. But, um, yeah, just thanks again. This is a, uh, this is really great. Awesome. Well, it's really a treat to chat with you and watch the stuff that you've been doing and writing and posting over the last several years. Um, just tantalizing and curious and it's kind of been fun to watch you evolve too as you write about your life experiences and the things you've tried to do and the risks you've taken yeah yeah well, i appreciate that very much this podcast is part of the connect edu podcast network bringing together diverse voices in the higher ed community check us out on twitter at connect edu pod or at connect network. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast.